0: It was a hard sell to differentiate myself from a regular personal trainer and a medical exercise trainer because people had never heard that term before. So I had to come up with an elevator speech. And I said, I can work with you if you have an illness that's a chronic illness. I can work with you if you have an orthopedic issue. The secret sauce of my training is I interface with your care team. And so I can speak the language of your care team, your physical therapist, your Uh, endocrinologist, whatever you're getting care for, for your chronic condition, I can keep them abreast of your fitness training and how you're progressing, how we're addressing the chronic condition, that sort of thing. The comfort of being able to interface with those high-level professionals is what I learned as a medical exercise specialist.
1: Welcome to the second act fit pros podcast, the show where I highlight the vibrant and active lives of health and fitness professionals in their second act. I'm your host, Erin, a functional aging specialist, and I'm here to introduce you to a diverse range of professionals dedicated to empowering individuals to live well, thrive, and embrace their second act through movement and improved health. Join me as we explore the endless possibilities and opportunities in the health and fitness field. In this episode, we dive into the world of medical fitness and mentorship with Holly Benson, a seasoned professional in fitness program management, personal training, and group exercise instruction. As a medical fitness and corrective exercise specialist, Holly's expertise extends far beyond crafting exercise programs. She's a bridge builder forging trusted partnerships with healthcare providers and integrating fitness into patient care. Holly's approach isn't just about sets and reps. It's about fostering a collaborative relationship with the healthcare team. But that's not all. Holly is a beacon for aspiring fitness professionals. She has expertise in coaching and mentoring newcomers into the field. Through her guidance, she not only trains, but nurtures budding talents, integrating them into this dynamic field through hands-on coaching and invaluable job shadowing experiences. Holly holds a bachelor's degree in corporate and community fitness and recreation, as well as certifications as a medical exercise specialist, corrective exercise specialist, and in personal training. Join me as I unveil the insights, wisdom, and transformative approaches of Holly Benson, who is shaping the intersection of fitness, healthcare, and mentorship. Here's my conversation with Holly. Welcome to the podcast, Holly. We we're going to focus our conversation about how to develop yourself as a fitness professional, whether it be a fitness instructor or a personal trainer. And we're going to go into that because that's something that you specialize in. But before we jump into that topic, I thought we would start with you talking about your background in fitness, your training, and what has helped you become really good at being a mentor for other fitness professionals?
0: Okay. Well, I'm pretty seasoned, if you will. I got my first taste of working on a group group exercise class. I was thrown at the wolves. <laughs> uh, I was a pool class and I was a lifeguard and I was 23. And I had zero experience working with older adults. And I I started teaching. Apparently, I was a natural. One of my directors said, oh, you're really good at this. I didn't know. So then they threw me at the wolves again and a land group exercise class. And I really liked it. And I'd already achieved a degree in recreation, administration, whatnot. I was actually there working an internship in the aquatics to learn about, you know, executive part of of running a program and so they got a lot of free labor out of me but uh that's kind of kick-started it and I always had that interest and so then I started uh thinking well maybe I want to learn more uh and so I I was very brave at 23 so I got thrown into a different class and so we kind of hacked through it for a while and then I moved and I moved I lived in Fargo, so I could not find an executive or any kind of full time job. And I was piecemealing. So I headed to Minneapolis because it was the Mecca, the hub, the place where people went for the really advanced programming and fitness and wellness. And so I headed off to Minneapolis and I didn't have enough experience, believe it or not. I didn't. I really didn't. I was kind of a beginner. And so I ended up coming back to Fargo. And I was able to get on at a Gold's Gym and they had a great director there that was a super leadership and she saw my potential that I was in the pool to start with and then she worked with me and I was able to work in the regular studio and do group exercise. And at that time, it was high impact all the way and learning how to do choreography and being up front using your voice and all the things. So I really fell in love with fitness and I was trying to figure out what can I do with this with a recreation degree? So I went back to school and I got a degree in exercise physiology and, rec- and dietetics. It was a double major and that was in 91. So I'm dating myself. And then I went to Colorado in 92 and I got a job working as a recreation director uh, in charge of fitness and wellness for the community. Had a wonderful uh, supervisor who trained me and helped me learn things and I ended up with a pack of instructors, and I had to get good enough to be able to sub for them. So my skills just kept getting elevated, but I was still in the office pushing a pencil a lot and budgeting and all that stuff and, and hiring and firing and training new people. But I didn't have that many to train at the time because I, I had a ready-made team when I was hired. So I did that for a while, and then I had a child, and I went took a little time off, and then I went into the private uh, club. And at that point, I was a a fitness director for Group X, and that was the heyday of step and more high impact. And then we had low impact, and then we had high low, and then we had Pilates was just coming in, and yoga was still considered woo-woo. I mean, this is a long time ago, (laughs) but then I was promoted to head of the entire fitness department, so I had not only a group exercise team, I had a personal training team. I was a little rusty in personal training. I didn't have a ton of experience. So guess what? I went, got certified, got some training with some people. I actually kind of apprenticed under a couple people and I wasn't getting paid for it, but I wanted to learn everything I could. So I did. And that was fun. And then I had another child and got a full-time job as a fitness and wellness director at a senior center. And that's when I got interested in older adults really, really deep. And I realized these people have a lot going on. They have social biopsychosocial stuff. You know, their bodies are changing. Their, their social life is changing. They're uh, worried about aging. They're grieving their youth. It's, it's a lot, but I loved it and I stayed there. And unfortunately I wasn't able to continue with the job because of the responsibilities with kids. And then I ended up working for the city of Aurora as their fitness and wellness director, again, in charge of corporate fitness and all the instructors and all the personal trainers and three facilities and a lot of pushing the pencil around. Didn't get to teach. I didn't get to train. I just trained the trainer. And I missed it a ton. And the job was hard. And after 10 years, I said, you know what? I want to be a technician. And I want to be the best darn trainer I can be. And I learned about medical fitness at the time. It was brand new. And I went, this is totally where I want to be. So I learned what I, I had an awesome mentor. And I took, took his training, which was pretty advanced. And then I went, got an official national accredited routine, excuse me, certification. So National a Council of Accreditation, whatever the NCAA is. So I would be legit because his, his certification wasn't quite out there. But the technical skills he taught me were amazing. And then getting the full-on certification. And then I just took every possible class I could. And I trained, not under anybody, but I just leveled myself up. And as a head trainer, moved to Apex as their head trainer and trained personal trainers and supervised them in the program. And I was kind of popular because the older adults had the money to pay a trainer And they knew I knew how to deal with those knee problems, hip problems. I was easy to deal with because I was a little older and I related and I understood what they were going through. So it was huge success. I absolutely love working with older adults, empowering them. And medical exercise is a very advanced certification, which I got. And I have very deep uh, information very deep knowledge and education in each chronic condition. It's kind of a broad brush, but not really. Most medical exercise trainers that work out of a club or out of a boutique oftentimes will specialize in one or two areas like Alzheimer's or possibly joint replacements or cancer or whatever, because you can't be great at all of them, usually where your heart takes you. So my heart took me to osteoporosis, uh, multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, anything neuro, and that's where I've landed. And I'm an in-home trainer now, doing medical exercise with people who don't want to go to a gym because they've got issues. And so we do it in the privacy of their home. And I use all my great knowledge and I've I've had immense success in the last three years. So hopefully that was a long answer to a very long career. But yeah, I am absolutely where I need to be. Yeah,
1: thank you for giving us the, the whole picture of where you've been in this industry and medical fitness. I haven't had anybody on this podcast that has talked about medical fitness, so I thought we could talk just a little bit about that—the certification that you had to get for that, the training that's involved in that, and who it helps you serve. Like you said, older adults, chronic conditions. Talk a little bit more about that training that you had to do to get into
0: medical fitness. Still in order to even sit for the exam. I needed to show that I had a minimum of a bachelor's degree and an exercise-based type of uh, curriculum. And then I also had to submit, I don't know if you call it a, a report that was sent to me to attest to how many hours I have had in the field, on the floor, in the trenches, working with individuals as a personal trainer. It was a lot. I don't know, it was a thousand hours or something like that. So they, they wanted people who were seasoned, kind of knew the whole game and had advanced knowledge, obviously, in physiology. So you could follow the material uh, to study for the exam. When I finished that exam, I was so exhausted. I said, I feel like I just took the MCAT. And that's what people take to get into the medical profession. But it was so good to learn all that. So that's what I had to do to get actual certified. And it was a hard sell to differentiate myself from a regular personal trainer and a medical exercise trainer, because people had never heard that term before. So I had to come up with an elevator speech, I guess you will. And I had the nutshell, what do I do? And I said a couple of things. I said, I can work with you if you have an illness that's a chronic illness. I can work with you if you have an orthopedic issue. The secret sauce of my training is I interface with your care team. And so I can speak the language of your care team, your physical therapist, your Uh, endocrinologist, whatever you're getting care for, for your chronic condition, I can keep them abreast of your fitness training and how you're progressing, how we're addressing the chronic condition, that sort of thing. And then they are a natural referral if they get results with their patients. But the comfort of being able to interface with those high-level professionals is what I learned as a medical exercise specialist. So we create a continuum then, instead of having somebody end physical therapy or getting out of rehab for a heart attack or whatever, or cardiac rehab, and then they're left on their own. It's like, what do they do next? And then if they just hire a trainer that doesn't have as much knowledge and experience, they're not going to be served as deeply. And they're, the client or the patient's not going to feel as confident in that more of an intermediate to beginner trainer. So they know you know their stuff, and you know how to work with their fear, their apprehension, their hesitation, the emotional strife that they went through getting the knee or hip replacement or being sick for a long time. And then also knowing that they got to be exercising, but they don't know where to start. They don't want to be in pain. They don't want to look stupid. They think they're too old. It goes on and on and on. And because many of these folks are older, they're still stuck with some ageism stuff. And they don't think that they can improve. And so when I explain, we call it edu-size. We explain these these points to them while they're working out and they learn about their body. So I teach people to be students of their own body. So they dial in to the training I put together and give me their best effort. Mm -hmm. I love that. Have you found that in your experience
1: that the healthcare providers have been pretty receptive to you? As a personal trainer? Or what's that been like?
0: Well, that is a, a tough one. And it depends on where you live. Now, I have a colleague named Dan McKeska. He's with the Medical Exercise Foundation and he's on the education team. He's got an advanced degree and he also is a trainer, advanced. He actually teaches on the college level and he interfaces, but it took a long time for him to get the confidence in those medical people that he knew his stuff and his and those patients were safe with him. So what he would do is he, and I've done this too, actually go to the appointments with our client slash patient, meet their PT, meet their endocrinologist, meet their cardiologist, and let them know that you're part of it. We're all helping this individual together. And once they hear you speak and give reports on how these patients are doing, they then are really willing to refer their other patients. And all I tell them is that I bridge the gap. I will interface with their care team. And they're like, give me a card. I need your card. I need this for my patients. I absolutely, because they want them to be successful. But so often people, the buck stops at the end of PT, the buck stops after cardiac rehab, and they hope for the best that they don't have any more issues. So that's the power of medical exercise is that. And they love it. They absolutely love it. But you have to gently educate them because they get hit with everybody wanting to sell this, that, and the other thing. You have to go with the patient client and work together as a triangle and, and, or part of the spokes of a wheel, the fitness piece of their wellness wheel, the patient's wellness wheel. And it completes it. It's kind of the last piece of the puzzle for them for longevity. Mm-hmm. And for we call it conscious longevity, don't we? And also confident longevity. Mm. Yeah, that's another one. Confident longevity or co- confident aging is another one I use. Aging. Oh, yeah, that is so great. I love that. I can see where, from the healthcare
1: professional's eyes, to say that you're working with a personal trainer, the the range of knowledge and personal training is so great. It is it's huge, and. To have a trainer that shows up at an appointment with the their patient, that's kind of already like help you develop that trusting relationship so that you can have that, be that continuum of care for that person.
0: And I must address this because I know whoever's listening to this is going to have this question. Well, do you charge for that time that you go with them? I don't ask for it they will, the, pay, the client will often just offer because they're so grateful that you're coming with them. If they don't, they, I look at it as a pro bono. It's part of my marketing. It's part of my establishing a network and relationships with some of these medical people. It's worth every minute that I put into it because I have never had yet had any professional on these appointments think I was a goofball. And, you know, and they were like, wow, I had no idea that this type of a trainer even existed. It was like, great. You know, Mm -hmm. why in the flag for medical exercise? So it's a, it's a growing industry. It's, it's getting bigger and bigger. You're seeing more of of it in there. And like I said, it's not easy to be that, but you know, it can be done and it's, it's very rewarding. So yeah, they love it. The, the care team, they love that. Yeah. But you do have to have a degree
1: to get that certification. Right? My
0: particular cert yes, you do have have a, a and fair amount of time with boots on the ground. So it's you know a basic certification. you can still specialize. you won't you'll still be you know considered a certified personal trainer, but the per people that want to not go quite that far, maybe not have that bachelor's degree or, or master's in exercise science, they can still specialize in these chronic conditions. There's a lot of wonderful. Uh, trainings and things out there and knowledge available uh, to to become a specialist. Yeah. Okay. And you've been involved with the Medical Fitness Association. Fitness Network and it's it's, a founder with Lisa Doherty and I got started with them in 2016. And that was when I started my quest to be the best trainer I could possibly be at the age I started, which was 57 when I hit the ground again as a independent freelance trainer while I was working for somebody, but a trainer and not the boss. I wasn't the boss, kind of, you know, I kind of was,
1: but right. Right. Yeah. You have all this experience being in personal training and group exercise experience, and you've had some experience developing trainers. What were you finding that newly certified personal trainers needed to get started in this field? What were the gaps between the certification and actually being able to serve people?
0: Okay, do you want me uh, to also address group exercise instructors? Sure, yeah, let's do both. Let's Everybody start with address group. it. Yeah, okay. my my yeah, my in my professional experience, my first leadership role was developing group exercise instructors. And so, I had to learn a lot myself. I had to get my skills pretty good. I've spent a lot of time practicing. But anyway, teaching them how to if they're working with music, how to work with tempo and musicality some people didn't have it. They didn't have it and they didn't pursue. They sometimes went into personal training instead. Being able to structure a workout that was fun, uh, using the proper and appropriate music, teaching them the resources to get music, being able to get out in front. I would usually have them shadow me or just do a, sec, a one, one song in a class and get them just a taste and build that up with each one until they were ready to do their own entire class. And so that's how they got confident. And because you put somebody in front of a class their first time, it's not fair to the participants. And it's it's terrible. It's terrorizing. So that's how I would train my group folks. And uh, just learning how it goes to be on a team. A lot of a lot of one on one practice, practice and homework I would give them. The musicality was a t- tough one in dance exercise. So that was the group X uh, for that. And recruiting new instructors was tricky. I usually plucked them out of a class because they were good movers and they were having a blast. And I would just say, hey, would you like to make money doing this? And you're awesome. And I had a pretty good recruitment rate (laughs) doing that. Took a while. I watched them for a long time. But uh, they often were very flattered by that. And then back to personal training, it is a lot of shadowing and having them practice their wording, practice speaking, understanding how to simplify and succinctly do things, taking it slow, programming basically and not trying to get too fancy, safety, 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 tons and tons of safety, drilling into new trainers, just because you saw it on the internet, it looks really fun to do. What's the efficacy behind it? Is, it? is it matched with the goals of the client? Is being able to teach a trainer how to listen and identify the goals the trainer or the uh, client or patient has and match them with your skill and do the best you can with what you know and try not to do more than you know because if you don't know how to break a complex exercise down and keep it safe, you shouldn't be asking the client to be doing that exercise. So teaching trainers how to make good decisions, not try to impress anybody else in the gym and really focus on what the client needs. And less is more and uh, results speak volumes and taking good notes yeah so yeah a lot of a lot of mentoring a a lot of feedback giving them feedback and i wouldn't take on a a new trainer unless they performed a practical exam with me where i would take them through show me how and then a couple case studies i would do with them say you know this person has chronic low back pain how would you begin a program with them stuff like that that's how i would recruit and train or i mean hire really good people but Sometimes I would hire people with zero experience because they had the personality, they had the compassion, they had a great attitude. They really wanted it. They wanted to help people and they just would, like sponges, teach me everything you know, teach me everything you know. And I would plug them in with some of my head, my, you know, high producing trainers and shadow Jim over here and watch how he trains people with low back pain, you know, just stuff like that. And the more people, yeah, it takes a village to train a really good personal trainer, in my opinion, not just my own opinion. Every trainer's got their own, you know, secret sauce to their success. And they want to help new trainers, too. I haven't found a trainer on my teams that haven't wanted to help me bring newbies in. We call them baby trainers and turn them into really competent, well-producing trainers. It sounds like you had that
1: when you started in the field, you had some great supervisors that yeah. acted as mentors. So if somebody knows that they want to become a personal trainer, they get the certification and they pass the test and they have this piece of paper behind them. How do you think that they should go about with their professional development in this field
0: on their own? On their own. So they're going to run into a barrier occasionally because they may not get picked up without some experience depends on where a person wants to to work and it depends on the clientele if it's a boutique studio you know is it something they can build a plane while they're flying it a little bit and learn as they're going you know using the keep it simple uh, type thing or if they don't have any experience whatsoever and they really want to work at this particular facility whether it's close to their own home or they like the mission statement of the business whatever it is they really really want to work there get a hold of the the manager or the assistant manager and just say hey do you have an internship program i'm willing to put some time in to shadow you know i'll clean machines for a couple months or if you need me to clean machines but i need to get experience and i need to watch your trainers and i want you know, this, I'm willing to do whatever it takes I really want to work here and learn from you and the staff. When anybody said that to me, I'm like, when can you start? Because the attitude was there. So if they don't have an internship program and they have never heard of, the, of that, you propose that. Like I'm going to come in and work pro bono for a little while because I need the experience. Now, there's not a lot of directors that really are going to jump on that. But if you find a director that jumps on that, Yes, you want to work there. If they scoff you off, you don't want to work there. They don't care. So gotta have a match from the the minute you put your foot in the door to meet people or the managers, or the assistant managers, gotta have a good feel and a good vibe. And you need to talk to the other trainers on the team. So because you become a family and it's gotta feel good on both ends. You don't want to come in as the newbie and feel like everybody's watching you and saying, ah, wow, well, she's a newbie. You walk in there with your head high, you've got a certification. You have studied your butt off to learn this stuff. And you just got to have people to, to do things with. Uh, that's what I would recommend if you have no experience or minimal. And, you know, and, and then if you do go into, let's say, a big box and they're just desperate for trainers and you're certified and they're going to pay you the least they can. And they just need to have a warm body in there to do inner orientations or that kind of thing. That's okay, too. You don't have to stay at the big box forever, but you can definitely get your feet wet and understand the vibe of a gym, the flow of a gym, the personality of the gym, the the people, the personalities of the membership, and be learning at the same time. Uh, mm-hmm. And you don't have to stay there forever. And you know when it's time to leave the big box. You yeah. just. What are your thoughts about somebody that gets a certification and right off the bat,
1: they just want to go into their own business. They don't want to work for a gym. They want to do work with people on their own outside of the gym. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, my guess is anybody that's a brand new trainer is just newly certified has probably chosen to do this because they're really interested in fitness for them their own selves. And that's why they want to pass it on, you know, the passion for fitness and staying healthy and healthy lifestyles and That's where the passion comes in and the change in career. You know, it's like, hey, I love fitness and wellness. It's such a positive field and I want to be a part of that. So I guess let me think about this for a second. I would probably want to know, feel that, let's say I'm the person I would want to be super confident in what I do and niche down, niche, however you say that, down to a very specific type of client that you want to work with. Because if you don't have a ton of experience, Uh, You really want to be really good at one or two things and just focus on that for a little while. And while you're focusing on that one thing, maybe it's women's fitness or maybe it's, you know, uh, sports fitness or something that you really have an intense desire to teach uh, and niche it down. So you're really, really good at that one or two things. And then while you're working with that special population or that niche population, I'm going to say niche from now on, you can be doing continuing studies on your own to expand. And then you may want to take somebody as a you know, that doesn't have any specific goals and just practice programming with them. And But you now have to have a facility. If you're going to do that, uh, a boutique, someone's going to bring you in. Or if you're going to do what I do where I go in-home, it's the same thing. It's, it's Going in-home, is, it is is kind of a hard sell because you're coming into their home and you charge a fair amount to go into someone's home because of the driving. If they're going to pay you $95 or $100 an hour they really want to know you know your stuff so confidence is key and i f- found
1: I, I mean this for myself personally i had to train the general population before i knew where i wanted to niche down it's like okay, that's true too Aaron. yeah yeah i know i don't want to work with kids i know i don't want to work with athletes you try to to weed out the people that you know you don't want to work with and try to find the people you do want to work with and double down on that
0: yes i agree and here's another key to success if, if you did something like you did Aaron. I think that when you start with someone in the general population as a trainer, a key piece is the interview and the intake when you're getting to know this new uh, person. So you have all the information in front of you because you never know if you have somebody and they're not telling you until three sessions in, oh, I had a heart attack, a heart attack last year or two years ago. It's basically clearance for exercise and you just assume everybody's okay. Be, being prepared for that sort of thing. But yeah, the general population, they just want the basics. They want to know uh, what to do, how to do it safely. And then your job is to keep them coming back because frequency builds habits. And that's, that's usually the sticking point for most people in the general population. Mm-hmm. They come in gung-ho and then they get sore or they don't like it or whatever. Your job as a trainer then is they can't wait to see you. That can't wait to come be with you and learn from you. And so personality and being able to extract their, their playful side, that's going to really get you more clients and give you a ton of interpersonal skills. And, and again, building confidence is that you get that. It goes both ways. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And what are your thoughts on a brand new group exercise instructor? They just got their certification. They know that they want to teach to groups. How would you recommend that they get started?
0: Well, oftentimes when you'll come into a facility that you want to work for, the Group X director or fitness director will ask for an audition. So you'll apply, you'll do all the paperwork, everything looks good on paper, and then before you join the team, you've got to show a pretty good audition. And so no one auditions until they know they've got it because no one's going to get in front of a director And show them their best unless they've really, unless they're brave like you, Erin. So I'm just going to try my best. And if you're not perfect, technically, and you miss a phrase or you got to march it out till you find the phrase change or something like that, you know, you do it with grace and poise and you resume and just, but if you can be poised and gracious and lap at yourself, the people, they understand you're new. And they can't wait to have a new instructor. And they want you to succeed. You just have to know how to recover when you mess up. Because you're going to. You're just going to. And the more you do it, the less you mess up, the more your confidence builds. And like I said, if you pass the audition, they'll give you a class. And you're not going to be as good as the instructor that you used to go to. Because that person's got a lot more hours on the floor than you do. But you will get that good. You will.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I told you my experience, Holly, of being newly certified. I got my Group X certification, and I thought I was going to teach Group X while I went to college, and they asked me to audition this community center. And so I auditioned, and this leads to the whole musicality piece. And I was a participant, of course, for years. So I go in with my jock jams, not the 32-count aerobic music or anything. And When I look back at it, I... I realized what a complete disaster that audition was because I didn't understand 32 count. I didn't understand how to put together a routine. I knew how to follow one. I could follow one great, but I didn't know how to lead it. And even though I had the certification behind me and I was lucky enough to have that disastrous audition, in front of a group of three very seasoned aerobics instructors that took me under their wing. And they said, let's, we're going to talk to you about 32 count combo. We're going to talk to you about choreography and like how you lead this. I was grateful to have their guidance, but that certification didn't, did not supply me with it. And I thought it did. I thought, oh, I've been doing this forever. I've been following it. I'm going to take my, this piece of paper, the certification, and I'm going to teach. And it just was not that way. So with that said, what are you thinking are missing pieces or gaps in certifications that as fitness professionals need to kind of help fill those gaps on their own that the certification isn't going to supply?
0: Okay, so let's start with Group X. What I wish would happen, and, and if, if it's happening and I'm not aware, pardon me, but what I wish is that the training for Group X is, is, is as intensive as some of these programs are, like for specialty programs for personal trainers, because there's always an online component. But I don't see that with group exercise. So it would be really cool if part of the certification that you pay for has an online component where it's exercises that you practice and they build on each other so that by the time you test your practical skills, you've got a chance to try that. So I'll use the musicality as an example. When I would bring somebody in and they would teach to jock jams and they didn't know thirty-two count, but they moved well, they were strong, they they just needed a little training. The very first lesson that I would do with them is I put on a thirty-two count premixed fitness, ta- fitness, listen to me, tape, CD, or on on a playlist, and mm-hmm. we just sit there in the office, and I would say as soon as you hear five, six, seven, eight. I would ask them to listen to the song and just go five six seven eight. And then I would, as soon as they figured out how to pull that, it was a downbeat or the upbeat. Then we would move into five, six, seven, eight phrase change, five, six, seven, eight, one, five, six, seven, eight, two, five, six, seven, three, and four phrase change. And then we build from there. Then we would break the phrase down into fours instead of eights. And knowing how many fours make 32, it's eight. You know, that, knowing the math and becoming, because as an instructor for years and years, I still have the formula in my head. Once I learned it, it won't go away. It's like riding a bike. I can find that in any song that you give me that's beat mixed. Just, but that took a lot of practice, but that's how we start. And that's what I wish they would do for group X. For personal trainers, I, I would really like to have more of a practical piece where you have to send in Uh, A video, uh, they'll give you a case study, for instance, and say, pretend you're talking to this client. And how would you do this? So, how would you do an intake with Joe Schmo, who uh, just got out of cardiac rehab and is in a boot? You know, I mean, how would you case study do this and you learn how to dig and be a detective? So, intake, I've said that a couple of times, how important that is, but working with case studies more and then having uh, a written response. Now, some of the more advanced degrees will ask for this, like ACSM will ask for that, some of the other ones, but I think they all should have that. And then the only problem with that is scoring it, and it's manpower from the certification bodies, and that's the sticking point for that. So it might be something, I mean, I'd have to think this through a little bit more, but that's what's missing and I don't know how to crack that code and have it be economically feasible for these uh, certification bodies because, you know, they're trying to give us these certifications at a reasonable cost. You know, so their, their business has got to float as well. So that's the big picture. But that's definitely missing. Yeah, I can see that. And
1: I, it would be hard to think about how somebody could Do that on their own because you really want somebody that's experienced to look over your shoulder and give you that case study and be like, okay, this is what I would do for this person that has low back pain and have somebody kind of review your plan of attack for that.
0: If I worked for ACE Mm -hmm. or AFA or NSCA or any of those that are going to be cranking out trainers, I would want them. To use more case studies, yes, and for practice, you know, for practice in preparation for the exam, but not just one or two, a whole bunch of different kinds. And then as the, on the training staff or the people who put together these exams and the training components is, let's say there's five case studies and each one has a different set of stuff. And you know how we did, and then there's a question. What would you do? How would you do it? Blah, blah, blah. Then it's kind of like when we were in math, we go to the back of the book to see if you got the right answer. There would be a response to that case study that a seasoned professional on the team that puts the curriculum together, usually someone at a master's or PhD level or someone who's got tremendous amount of successful experience as a trainer. Answer it. How you know, an example of an appropriate way to handle that case study or that person. Mm -hmm. And that would teach the student if they were close, completely off base or nailed it. That I think would be helpful. That would be great. Create it once. I'm talking about if I worked for ACE or those guys. Create it once as part of the, the, the process of getting certified. Answer all those questions. And then just duplicate it over and over and over again. You mm-hmm. don't have to, you know, it's an upfront, front load kind of thing. And then it takes it away from their their education team. They don't have to do any, because you can't, they just can't. They cannot review hundreds and hundreds of people writing out the answers to case studies.
1: Right. One of the things I wish I had done earlier on was job shadow trainers. I, I do more group than I do personal training, but job shadow personal trainers... And ask them, like, look at their program for somebody and and try to get into their mind. Like, why did you choose this? Why did you choose this exercise program, these exercises for this person? And try to understand their why behind it. That's something I wish I had done more of early on. Somebody that was more experienced than me. Not just look at their programming, but really understand why they did that. I did not do nearly enough job shadowing. I wasn't even a personal training client before I wanted to venture into personal training. And that was a huge mistake too. I think you have to be a client and have that experience before you train somebody else.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that. You know, now when I was doing, when I was head trainer, I would get new trainers because I was, you were always trying to fill the, you know, fill the team. I could shadow them, as much as I could, but I had a, I had a client base as well. I had two of my best trainers that I worked with and they knew that they were going to be having baby trainers shadowing them. I would not, it was not random. And Mm -hmm. usually it was these trainers that I would use, uh, I would match the new trainers passion so a lot of trainers will say well i want to work with you know athletes or youth then i'd give them to lance lance works with these people follow and shadow him see how he rolls or i really want to work with older adults we'll work with lisa she's been doing this for 25 years and then what ends up happening organically and this is what's really cool both in group exercise and in personal training is when you have that shadow in group exercise Let's say it was me teaching a step class and I could never, ever get a sub. You just, you know, you've got a little protege. You get a little apprentice that you're helping. That's your built-in sub. Mm. It's magic. And so if somebody had a client, I mean, I don't usually give my clients to another trainer unless I feel really good about it. But sometimes I would write out a program and I'd give it to one of my shadowees and say, I need you to work with Susan. I'm going to go away for a couple weeks. She's willing to work with you. And then they would kind of follow my program, but I'd only give them an outline and just, you know, real basics. Don't forget to cover, you know, this and that. And then let them make some good, strong decisions of their own and bring their own personality into it. And then Mm -hmm. Susan, when she gets back from vacation, gives me a report on her experience with that new trainer. Mm -hmm. And then I give that information back to the new trainer so they can make changes if they need to or to give them positive feedback to boost up their confidence. So it it was just a win-win all the way around. There's
1: not enough of that, I feel like. and Not even I mean. close. You have to get lucky and maybe go to the right gym, be in the right place to have those mentors um, that are willing to take you under their wing and show you what they're doing and and get an understanding of why
0: they're doing what they're doing. Um, well, there's not enough of that. There's not. In my perfect world, mm-hmm. when I sit and dream about the industry I love so much, and what's missing, is, I would love to see partnership in a group of gyms in the region I'm living in that agree to be part of this very structured recruitment, training of new professionals. Because what ends up happening, if they agree to this, they've got a built-in new staff member. And I just don't think it would be that hard. I wish there would have been something like that when I was scratching for instructors and trainers. I could say, hey, we have this program here. Come on over to Apex. We've got a whole system to get you up and running confidently as a trainer." It's going to be, you know, you're not maybe not going to be getting paid quite as much in the beginning. But once you are evaluated and you've been through all the steps, hey, we'll bump you back up. We'll bump you up. You get your hourly wage up to what you know, isn't commensurate with where your skills are. And who could say no to that? But it takes takes commitment by the business. It takes people that are really directors and, and management that really give a poop. And it's not about the bottom line. It's about building a team and a family of professionals that they can be proud of and not have that revolving door of beginners coming and going and and getting discouraged and going, this is not for me, see a bye, which is what's happening. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's sad because it's discouraging. People spend all this money thinking they're going to go change the world and they never get an opportunity to do so. And it's really... Uh, a waste of brain power, And I I just hope we can see this change before I retire. Maybe that's what I should be doing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, we've talked about this. That's kind of like your dream job is to be able to mentor new people in this field, trainers and instructors. What would you tell somebody that is interested in, in becoming a fitness instructor or a personal trainer? What do you think they need to know about? We've already touched on some of this already, but is there anything else that you think they need to know about before they get into this field that they should be aware of the challenges the joys
0: i think the the warm fuzzy stuff helping people and all of that kind of isn't obvious but i think that it would be helpful for new professionals to understand the behind the scenes stuff going on understand the business model of running a personal training department understand the business of running a group exercise department all the way. Just, you know, example of, you know, this is how we have to balance payroll and we have to pay all these dues to ASCAP and BDMI and whatnot. And we would love to pay you $30 a class, but unless you're bringing in 15 people consistently, we can't afford it. I mean, understanding that. So if they're in a, if they're in a new job, And they're like, oh, my God, I've been paying, I've been, you know, I, you know, somebody over down in that boutique, they're getting thirty five dollars an hour teaching a group exercise class. And I'm working for the rec center. And I'm lucky if I make twenty five, you know, understanding the difference and how the business piece works, because it makes it a little easier to swallow and not feel like, you know, I'm never getting a raise. I must suck. But or, you know, they don't we don't want anybody to take it personally and and big box gyms may not pay as well as, as a boutique that maybe has a head trainer or a manager that will work with you and wants you to be part of their boutique family. But yeah, that I think would be what I wish I would have known that because I had a little disgruntledness sometimes. I'm like, I'm pulling in 30 people consistently. Why am I not getting a raise? Well, they can't. Mm-hmm. It doesn't balance, you know, they can't because mm-hmm. you know, where I worked, I got paid the same hourly if five people showed up or 35 people showed up. And that was kind of hard to do because it's like, I should be getting more if I'm bringing these people in like this. I I would like to be rewarded for that. And there's ways to work that. I actually was able to do a workaround and maintain some really good instructors. But, man, it was, as a director and working with the powers that be, it was a hard, hard sell. It was really yeah. hard. But it's possible. Anyway, but that's what I would, for the business piece, also maybe ask them to talk to a couple of the instructors on the team that have been there a long time. Hmm. And ask them about their experience and what what would they, you know, how is it, what's it like to work for this place? And so they know what they're getting into. Right. That's the thing. I always said about Group X is that you it it can be a
1: very part time job. If you want to teach one hour a week and they need somebody to teach one hour a week and it's a fit, that could be your group X job is one hour a week. And even with that said, so it doesn't seem like you're really getting too entangled in the business and the people there. It's, There's still a vibe that comes out. You still will feel like what management is like there. You will get a certain vibe about that gym and that place, even if you are only there one hour a week. And it is helpful to work for a place that is supportive of the group exercise instructors and is a place that you want to be at and that members like to be at. So even though it is very part-time, it's still worthwhile to find a place that you feel like you're on the same wavelength.
0: Yeah, and it's going to show. And the the membership base is going to feel that family feel. Everybody loves their job. Mm-hmm. Something else I, I would have liked to mention a little earlier. Uh, I had, I worked at this health club for, I think it was six years. And we had a lot of advanced, really hotshot classes. This was an expensive place to work at. And my my instructors were out of this world. But I brought on a couple of newbies and part of their training and I some of these people had three different p- rates of pay. I was able to sell in the budget enough money to pay a new instructor minimum wage to attend five different formats of classes and five different instructors, just be an attendee. Whether mm-hmm. they like STEP or not, whether they like Pilates. Well, I did Pilates, it was a whole different deal. But, you know, or whatever the different formats that we had and I would set them up to attend the best of the best and they got paid and and as attendee they got paid minimum wage and the the amount of stuff that they learned and and i got to be one of those people once and it was like well i'm really good at low impact i didn't think i could teach step hey i think i want to do that i want to try to teach step and then i brought in my own step low whatever but that that worked, worked pretty dandy too it helped develop them and their future self, i think going to other instructors
1: classes to me that is still my favorite continuing education to do on my own is going to somebody else's class Mm -hmm. i always 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 learn something there's always like three to five takeaways i get from a class
0: yep and i've been teaching for years and years and i the same for me i mean i love that part i love that Mm -hmm. part i love to learn new new ways of doing things because my way is not the highway it is just one person in the field, sea of people. There's a lot of talent out there.
1: hmm hmm Yeah, and it's fun. Going to other instructors' classes, I, I've always found invaluable, always a good use of my time. So what are characteristics of people that do a good job of being a fitness professional in this field? What are characteristics that you look for that you think are going to make them successful in this field?
0: For them, they're top of mind, if that makes sense. What, what should be the umbrella uh, the flavor, if you will, is the experience of the participant and the interaction. And so what if you don't know 32 count? But if Ethel is in the back and she did her first squat without bending her knees too far forward, that you notice that and you encourage that. So encouraging, confident enough to be encouraging but not sappy. So interpersonal skills are really key because you don't want to single people out You got to have a lot of emotional intelligence that is it's the psychosocial piece is so key so those people want to come back they want to see you they want to laugh with you they want to get into the music like you do you know, just want to throw a piece of music on and go let's go it's like oh, oh i really like this song we're gonna do it. just the fun being able to extract a little joy out of people and and give them the confidence that they're not moving exactly like you are. Hey, they're there and they're and they're smiling and it's probably the best part of their day. But having that as the top of mind flavor, including in personal training, if you're just going through reps and sets and you've got this program, you know, that a PhD level program, it doesn't matter. The people don't, there's an expression, maybe i have heard it, people don't care how much you know. They want to know how much you care. And then they'll ask you what you know. But they want to know that you give a crap about them and you like your job. So a lot of interpersonal skills. A lot of emotional intelligence. uh, Ability to think on your feet. Recover from a flub and not take it like, oh, I suck. Just keep moving. A lot of poise. Confidence is key. Ability to create little relationships with the people. also. I call it the Aaron factor, the ability to connect people, you know? So let's say Ethel's in the back. She's only coming a couple of times. She doesn't know anybody in the gym, but you've got, you know, Nancy in the corner who has been coming for a long time. Introduce Ethel and Nancy and let them create a friendship. And then there's accountability and it just grows. But that's a big emotional intelligence thing. Technical skills are technical skills. You can get better at that and you've learned all that, but that building community, being able to have fun. Yeah, that's what I would want. That's what I used to look for. And not taking it all so darn seriously. You know, it's not Cirque du Soleil, it's helping people. Great. What has been your favorite part about working in this field? Well, personally, I have enjoyed over the 40 years I've been doing this, how things, Circle back, and some of the stuff that we used to do went in the ditch, and then some of the good stuff came back, watching the caliber of instructors the just the the blossoming of technology, you know the sound systems the the high level of continuing education that we can achieve out there too because. I've been a lifelong learner and I'm constantly still learning new stuff. And it never ceases to amaze me how brilliant some of these people are. And that's what I've enjoyed because my skills continue to level up. And just watching the evolution has been my favorite part. And then finding someone who gets into fitness a little later and just goes over the moon excited about doing that. That's probably one of my big faves. Yeah. And what
1: would you say is the impact that you hope to make with the work that you're doing? I would
0: like to, oh, wow, I didn't expect that question. I want to be, I'll continue to be an educator. I would like to be able to share my best practices in some, some way to help trainers. Because if I've made all those mistakes already, let's cut to the chase and, and you know, not let these new, new people make those same mistakes. If I can prevent them from it's painful, you know, take a little pain away, but continue to train the trainers, encourage them. I always used to say, I got to replace myself in this industry. You know, I've done a lot of things. I I want someone else to come in and and do that too, if possible. I want to exit eventually, but that's the impact I want to make. I want to be inspirational. I want to be a good coach. I'm not a teenager anymore. If I can do it, I want people to look at me and say, well, if she can do it, I can do it. And just encourage people to actually enter the field. If I can get more people in the field and not leave in two years, which is the national average, and make it their new thing, that would be a great legacy to leave. I love it. I'm going to be 70 in five years. Well, I'm still doing this at 70, I hope to have had made lots of impacts. I've taken a couple years to kind of regroup, but I'm relaunching and I'm trying to put myself in the right place. I don't want to teach 16 classes a week anymore. I just don't. I don't think that would be healthy.
1: All right. So Holly, if anybody's interested in the work that you're doing, maybe
0: they're interested in mentoring with you. Where can people find you? Well, I have a website. It's movingstrongmedx.com. And on that website, there is my phone, and I would love a phone call or an email. And I would invite them to have a phone call and just see where they're at. And then if they wanted to see how it goes and just do a ride along, we'll call it a ride along mm-hmm. and see what's like. If they want to be an in home trainer, if I was working out of a gym, I would probably invite them to, I would actually uh, pay for them to come in or make arrangements for them to come in for free and spend a half a day with me as a head trainer or, you know, type thing. Mm-hmm. That's what I would do. But the way I am right now for Group I don't know. I mean, that's something that I could spend an hour on and give them some ideas on what to practice, especially the musicality if they're using music or, you know, a group a group strength training class, it's not that different. I mean, it is and it isn't. It's not as dancey, but it's still following meter and, and knowing when to move and change so it doesn't feel off center for the instructors. But that, yeah, I, I would love that. And, you know, even just to pick my brain uh, and just ask questions and try to just alleviate any of their fears that they have or trepidations on it and tell them what to expect. That would be a big thing I would like to help with yeah I loved that we were able to talk about this on the
1: podcast because I've always felt like mentorship is is so key and job shadowing is something that you should be able to do throughout your lifetime in your career is job shadowing it should not stop after you've done a month or two you should always be able to job shadow people I think that's a great way to learn and develop yourself Okay, so movingstrongmedx.com phone number and your email's there. Is there anything else that we haven't talked
0: about that you want to make sure we mention? Well, I just thought of something real quick. Uh, I was thinking about coming in, the question you asked about coming into a new gym and, you know, being a new hire or uh, uh, considering working for them and being in an interview. And what kind of questions would you ask the people interviewing you? And one of the things I would want to know coming in as a newbie is like, all right, you're going to audition me or you're going to have me do a practical. You're going to put me on payroll. You're going to give me shifts. You're going to have me shadow. That sounds great. But when am I going to be reevaluated? How often are you going to evaluate me? How often am I going to get your feedback on how I'm doing? If I'm bringing in a ton of money every month because I've got more charisma than God himself, that doesn't tell anybody anything other than you can be charismatic. But I want to know how my technical skills are measuring up. I want to know what kind of, if anybody's making comments or if I'm getting any good positive feedback from members or negative, you know, but frequent reviews as a new instructor or personal trainer is key to retention because if you don't know if you're doing well or not, you start to self-talk and think I suck, you know, or something like that, especially if you're teaching a class where not a lot of people show up right away. When you're new, it just happens. I just want to add that.
1: That is such an important point. I was only evaluated once. Yeah. it's because I asked for it. And should be
0: part of, it should be part of the program. Mm-hmm. Every director should have that and it should be on a scale. And it's not just for newbies, it's for people who have less than two years of training. They're just going to be evaluated more often. It's just the way it is. It's how you grow them. They're not going to be able to change if they don't know what they need to change. And gotta have a thick skin sometimes. There's a little ego for some personal trainers coming into the field sometimes. For sure,
1: for sure. That's such a good point. I'm glad that you made that point because I, I do think that is really important. Yeah, and does get overlooked. Holly, this was great. This was so much fun. This was fun. I, you have this is so much great energy behind this and enthusiasm. And I wish I had you as a mentor when I first started. I learned a lot of. A lot of lessons the hard way. I could probably go back for mentorship 2.0 with Holly <laughs> 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 and refine my knowledge and techniques. I think what, you, what you've brought to the field already has been amazing. And I hope that people take advantage of this and take you up on your offer to talk to them and see if you can help them out getting development in this field. As well as just learning about medical fitness. I think medical fitness is hugely valuable.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I'm a, a real crusader that because it's just so many people need that advanced training and there's so many people that are doing without and the medical the healthcare system just can't keep up and physical therapists are really in a bind it's just tough and and you know they work with clients so hard and the client works so hard and then when the physical therapist says bye you've done your 452 sessions with me Live long and prosper. Don't get hurt. I love you. You know, it, that's that, that it ends and that that's not okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. And if you're really interested in working with the older adult population, having that knowledge base is essential. Yes. So I'm glad that we have companies like Medical Fitness Network out there that are educating fitness professionals and leveling up the knowledge so that we can work with people with chronic conditions and all the various health issues. Okay. Well, Holly, again, this has been great. Thank you so much for your time. This was really fun. I'll put all the information on the show description. And if there's anything else you want me to add to it, let me know. But thanks again. Well, thanks for interviewing me. If you're interested in becoming a fitness professional, the Functional Aging Institute is the go-to source for training mature clients by providing fitness professionals with the most current, up-to-date, and forward-thinking techniques and strategies. They offer certifications, videos, webinars, and on-site workshops. In the show description, there's a link to get 20% off the group exercise certification and functional aging specialist certification. If you're interested in exploring a Second Night career in health and fitness, sign up for the Second Act Fit Pros newsletter. I provide information on online events I host and opportunities to connect with current health and fitness professionals, as well as those who are aspiring to work in the field. A link to sign up for the newsletter can be found in the show description.